to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Denial of self. We've talked about it recently in a lesson, as a part of a lesson, which we entitled The Dictates of Discipleship. And when we looked at this concept, we noticed that it involves emptying self. In other words, it is not a question of denying yourself of something that is great or denying yourself of something or things that are small, but it is the actual denial of self or the crucifixion of self, the surrendering of self that Jesus demands. But think about this question. Have you considered the fact, and really it is a fact, that all lives are surrendered lives? Every life is a surrendered life. Now someone someone might say, I hope no one here, but Someone out there might say, well, no, that's not so. I don't serve anyone. I serve no one. I do as I please. But does he? Does he really do as he pleases with that philosophy? No. By following that course, self simply becomes the instrument through which Satan controls that person's life. You see, when a person says, I serve no one, I do as I please, he has surrendered to Satan. Look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 16. And there the Apostle Paul makes that point abundantly clear. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. There are only two options. We are either slaves of the Savior, or we are slaves of Satan. And when we say we are slaves of neither, we have really become the slave of Satan, because our lives, through our selfishness, have allowed him to use that selfishness to his advantage. How tragic it is that many who live by that philosophy, do not understand that at all. But now this question, is the scripturally surrendered life, is the scripturally surrendered life, the spiritually surrendered life, is that a surrender to a system of cold, hard commands, or is it a surrender to a living, divine personality who energizes those commands by his presence? The latter is true. And when we think and speak of conversion, to what are we converted? Obedience will spring from the surrender of self to Him, to the Christ. Our faith is not primarily in things, but our faith is in Jesus Christ. But we quickly add this, one cannot have saving faith in Christ unless one believes the things that Christ himself has revealed in his word. Jesus put it this way very succinctly in John fourteen fifteen: If you love me, keep my commandments. 
The American standard renders it, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will not and cannot and will not want to ignore my word. And so the surrendered life about which we speak this morning, the surrender of our lives is unconditional. It is a surrender with nothing held back. And it's a matter of choice. But once the choice has been made, the will of Christ has to become supreme in our lives. Because you see, the whole concept of the surrendered life brings with it a sense of ownership. Remember how Paul expressed it once on that uh, ship when he said, the God whose I am and whom I serve. The God whose I am and whom I serve. I belong to him and therefore I serve him. And Paul's favorite expression in his writings concerning himself was Paul a bond servant. A bond servant a willing but lowly slave. Now with those principles in mind about the surrendered life, let's look at some specifics of the surrendered life. The surrendered life is, first of all, a surrounded life. Think about that. It's a surrounded life. You remember Job and the hedge around him that is mentioned in Job 1 and verse 10? It was for his protection. And God allowed all to go except for this hedge. Job lost a great deal, didn't he? But he still had the protection of God, didn't he? He still had the blessing of God. God didn't take that away from him. Now, Job could have taken it away from himself, couldn't he? Job could have violated that, but if he respected it, he could rely on being kept by the power of God because Satan was not allowed to touch him from the standpoint of ultimately taking his life. And he could not take his faith in God unless Job gave it up. But what about the Christian life? Is it not the case that the Christian life is surrounded today? Indeed, it is. Grace abounds more than sin. Romans 5, verse 20. Romans 5 and verse 20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. But grace reigns, how? Through righteousness. And the righteousness of God is revealed where? In the gospel. Romans 1.17 For in it, the gospel, Paul says, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. In 1 John 4 and verse 4, John said, You are of God, little children. And have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. 
if we are Christians today. And John elsewhere wrote in 1 John 2 and verse 1, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Oh yes, the Christian life is a surrounded life. But the Christian also recognizes that he is surrounded by sin also. Remember Paul, uh, Peter's words in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. There is sin that surrounds us on every side, but there is still that hedge, if you will, that we have to protect us if we will not violate that hedge that God has given us. In other words, the child of God is kept. But the child of God is not arbitrarily kept. Here's our key text, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Remember what Peter writes here, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what purpose, Peter? To what end? To an inheritance, he says in verse 4, incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. We've asked it before. You who? You, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God. Period? No. Who are kept by the power of God through faith. Through faith. For salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The Christian is surrounded by the power of God through faith on his part, the Christian's part. But if we become unfaithful, the God of heaven, as powerful, as omnipotent as he is, and he is, if we become unfaithful, God has no way of keeping us. He has no way of keeping us because we have violated the hedge, if you will, when we become unfaithful. What a tragedy to voluntarily abandon the surrounded life, which is a part of the surrendered life. But secondly, let's notice that the Surrendered life is a serving life. It's a life of service. And how thankful we ought to be that it is a life of service. Jesus set the perfect example as he went about doing good because he came not to be served, but to serve. And Paul demonstrated this spirit. Again, remember that expression? The God whose I am and whom I serve. I belong to him, he owns me, and I serve him. And we serve God by serving others. Remember Matthew 25, 31 through 46? And in that text, as Jesus projects himself forward to the judgment scene of all mankind, at the time when he will sit on the throne of his judgment. 
when he comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him and sits on the throne of his glory, all the nations, the text says, will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And in this context, in this context, what we have done in serving others is highlighted and emphasized greatly as one of the bases for our ultimate salvation in heaven. Certainly, our benevolent efforts are not the only basis for our salvation, but how we have served others when they were hungry, when they were thirsty, when they were strangers and we took them in, when they were the naked and we clothed them, etc., etc. These things are going to be a critical element in the ultimate determination of our eternal destiny. Where will we be for all eternity? Much of it will depend upon how we have served others. Therefore, remember Paul wrote in Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know, programs are fine, but programs do not replace personal responsibility. And there is joy in serving others. The late gospel preacher Delmar Owens wrote, quote, If you want to take a shortcut to misery, sit down, fold your hands and say, Here I am, serve me. Here I am, serve me. Well, I'm afraid that's an all too prevalent attitude in the world in which we live today. But you know that here I am, serve me, is a far cry from some words we can read concerning Isaiah the prophet, remember? Here am I, send me. Not here am I, serve me. Here am I, send me. The surrendered life is a serving life. But in the next place, the surrendered life is also obviously a spiritual life. We live in the flesh. We live in the flesh, but not according to the flesh. Romans 8, 5 through 7, Paul writes, For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. And then our key text in this segment, Galatians 2.20. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the key, isn't it? The life according to the Spirit is a life of faith. And we must abstain from things that war against the soul. Peter begged his readers, including us if we're Christians, as sojourners and pilgrims, he said, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, brethren, abstain from fleshly lusts, which what? War against the soul. 
1 Peter 2 and verse 11. But you know, we must also control very carefully the things that are permissible for us to engage in. Those things that are not intrinsically or inherently wrong, but are permissible for us to engage in, we must nonetheless control those things by putting first things first and recognizing that man does not live by bread alone, as Jesus told Satan in Matthew 4 and verse 4, and that life is more than food, as Jesus made clear in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verse 25. The surrendered life is a spiritual life. We live in the flesh, but not according to the flesh. And that can be very challenging with everything that Satan throws at us in terms of frontal attack, but more effectively, the subtle attacks that he levels against the faithful. But then, the surrendered life is also a shining life. Jesus in Matthew 5.14 reminds us as his followers, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. We might add a city that is set on a hill should not want to be hidden. And the Lord made that clear in the same context when he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. A city on a hill doesn't want to be hidden. It wants to allow its light to shine, to become a magnetizing influence to the world, to come out of darkness and into the light of the gospel as followers of the light of the world. Remember what Jesus said in John eight twelve: I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And Paul reminded Christians in Philippians 2, 14 and 15, in verse 14, to do all things without complaining, criticizing, without murmuring the idea, do all things, all things, yes, that's right. Do all things without complaining and disputing, as the New King James renders it. And then in the next verse he says, that, in order that, in order that what? You may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you what? Shine as lights in the world. When people look at the church, they need to see us as those who do love one another, as Brian pointed out in his beautiful prayer this morning. People who love each other intensely and continually and manifest that love by, by their words and by their actions. And others should see that and appreciate the fact that we are blameless and harmless children of God. Without fault, sinless, no, but forgiven, yes. Without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation that surrounds us, but we are to be shining lights to that world. Tragically today, the problem with many in the church is that they are blending with the world rather than beaming to the world. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works 
glorify your Father in heaven. But finally, the surrendered life is a serene life. For he who would love life and see good days, Peter says in 1 Peter 3.10, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You know, there's no question about the fact that all men love life. Everybody living, I believe, would say they love life, but not all love life in the right way. All men see days, but not all see good days. And Peter says, if we want to love life the way we should love it, and see good days, refrain your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. You know, an unhappy person, an unhappy person is not just a problem. An unhappy person is a dangerous problem. A dangerous problem. How many tyrants have been known for their pleasant dispositions? That's the point. See, an unhappy person is a dangerous problem. And I don't know of any tyrants in history who were known for their pleasant dispositions. Hitler was not known for his sense of humor. but for the horrendous deeds that he did. So what are some basic rules for happiness? One is to learn to adjust. Learn to adjust. Some things cannot be changed. They just cannot be changed. And it's wrong of us to allow the unchangeable to mar our happiness. It's also wrong to try to change the unchangeable. If it's unchangeable, don't try to change it. Paul said, I know how to be content, which means I know how to adjust. Another rule for happiness would be obviously to set your affections on the eternal and not on the earthly. Set your mind on things above, as Paul wrote in Colossians 3, beginning in verse one. You know, it is not material things that make us unhappy. Material things do not make us unhappy. It is the wrong use of those material things that makes us unhappy. Money, you've heard it many times, is neither good nor bad. Money is neither good nor bad, but the love of it is a root, as Paul wrote, of all kinds of evil. And there's only one who is worthy of our supreme love, and that's the God of heaven. Worthy of our supreme love. And so, we need to give ourselves fully and wholly to the task of making others happy and find our happiness in the joy that we bring to others as we serve God by serving our fellow man. Do you really want to be happy? Or do you really just not want to be miserable? There is a difference. 
the surrendered life brings true happiness. It is a surrounded life. It is a serving life. It is a spiritual life. It is a shining life. And it is a serene life. Someone here today might be saying this. I would give anything to be happy. I would give anything to truly be happy as you've described happiness. Would you? Would you? Would you? Will you give yourself? Because that's the key. The surrendered life. Believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then act upon that belief by surrendering to Him through repentance of your sins, sweet confession of His name, and baptism into Christ for the remission of sins. There is power in the blood as we're about to sing. But as we've often said, the power is released in the water because that's how God has chosen to apply the blood of his son to the penitent sinner in that watery burial of baptism. No, the water doesn't save, but it's in the water that you're saved by the blood. And those who've done that but know you need to come home to that blood because you've not lived in harmony with the teaching of God's will, that the surrendered life that you once appreciated and enjoyed is no longer characteristic of your actions. You can have that peace and all of the blessings and the happiness, the true joy that comes from truly surrendering to the Lord if you'll come home in repentance and confession of the sin that stands between you and reconciliation to God saying as the prodigal did to his father, who represented the Father in heaven in that beautiful parable, I have sinned. I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me as one of your servants. And they killed the fatted calf and put on him the best robes and welcomed him home fully and completely. Forgiven and forgotten all of the past. That's the God of heaven who awaits to welcome you home today as a wayward child. But you have to make the choice. Will you surrender as we stand to sing?